I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome to the all new Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. It's not really all new. It's the same podcast. It's just now you can even find it on Spotify. A lot of you have asked me, Spotify, Sal, when are you going to put the podcast on Spotify? It's finally on Spotify. So nothing's different. It's still on iTunes. It's still at the uh, radio.com, WGR550.com website iTunes, open up the app, you'll find it. Uh, we want to promote the radio.com side of things all the time, no matter what. But um, here's what happened, basically. I-, I always wanted it to be on Spotify. People have asked me, you know, why it's not on Spotify. And the simple answer was our company, Entercom, radio.com. We didn't have a, and don't have a third-party agreement that podcasts um, automatically get uploaded onto that uh, platform, as we do like with iTunes. So I basically just kind of emailed a few people, corporate, and they said, yeah, we can do that. Um, it's an individual thing. So they finally put it up for me. I appreciate them doing that. So now it's on Spotify. So hopefully, uh, if you're listening to this, you probably got it a different way anyway, but maybe if you are a Spotify user, uh, that might work better for you. So <laughs> I joke that it's the all new Sal Sports and stuff, but it just feels like it is because we have this new platform that we're on that's really an old platform for everybody else to listen to a lot of other podcasts. So uh, subscribe to it however you do. It doesn't matter where. Throw me a nice review. That'd be great. I appreciate it. Can you get featured on Spotify? I'm really unsure how that works. I know I'm, I try to get featured on iTunes and I don't even know how that works because I've tried and it doesn't work. So either way, thanks for listening. Got a lot to get to today. I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. I'm I'm doing this for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I want to get to my free agent uh, defensive ends that I wrote about at WGR550.com that you can check out the article. I got eight guys I listed now that we know that J.J. Watt is not heading to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I started recording, today's Tuesday I'm doing this, I started recording on Monday, and then like literally as I'm recording, the J.J. Watt news comes across and I have to scrap everything and go back. So instead of just editing it, I basically said I'll just start a new one tomorrow. So that's what I'm doing today. Uh, Here we are, it's Tuesday morning, I'm recording this, so if something happens during this one, I'll have to shut down and go back, but hopefully that's not the case. We'll we'll wait on any Bills news. We know it's not going to be J.J. Watt. He is in Arizona, signs with the Arizona Cardinals, so that leads me to an article that I wrote, WGR550.com, you know, more pass rush option, options for the Bills. Eight different guys that I wrote about, some that I don't like that much. I just wrote about them because their names are out there and, you know, why... Uh, I don't like them as much for the bills and some that I really do like And even going through the process. I like a couple more than I even thought I would. So that's number one, why I want to do it, but also just to kind of get caught up a little bit. It's been a couple of weeks since we spoke here on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate everybody coming aboard for the state of the bills series. Got a lot of good feedback on that. Uh, and my plan is to still keep doing the podcast and giving you more information 
on anything about the Bills and doing interviews and things like that. Through the offseason, we have free agency beginning on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th at 4 p.m. Uh, that will be obviously a day we're all going to be looking at. But before then, the Bills have a couple of weeks here where I'm sure they're going to make some roster moves to move around and salary cap space and things like that. So we'll get into all of that as it goes forward. But it's been a couple of weeks since I spoke with you. And part of that reason is I went on vacation, went down to Florida. It was nice. It was super nice to get away. And not just for the weather. The weather was great, obviously, right? I mean, it's been 20s, 30s. It got up to 40 degrees here the other day in Buffalo. But just to get away, some nice weather was great. But more than anything, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I get I, I get choked up even thinking about this. Like my son, Max, just he was so happy. We went to Legoland. We flew into Tampa on Monday, drove to near Orlando, like Winter Haven, I think it is, where Legoland is on Tuesday. And him just being so happy. It, it was just so awesome. He hasn't been able to, you know, see his friends that much. You know, school, it's hybrid right now. We're getting back into the swing of things and things are starting to open up. I get it. It's been a year, though. Kid didn't have sports for a year, didn't see his friends that much for a year. Just to see him that happy, it was so it was so good. It was so nice. Then we saw some friends. By the way, Legoland, you know, it's winter break here for us. That's why we took the vacation now and when we did a couple weeks ago. It's not down there, so we, like, had kind of free run of the place. There wasn't that many people there. Every All the rides that were open didn't take long to get on. There were a lot of rides that weren't open. There were games that weren't open. Uh, they had a water park. We loved that, the water park had um, six water slides, but only three were in operation, which is fine. You know, you keep walking up the stairs, the next level, and the next level, the bottom three were working. The top three weren't who cares. I don't care. It was fun. Anyway, had a wave pool, a lazy river. All that was working. We loved it. It was great. Saw some friends after that family, more than friends, even uh, mostly about family of uh, you're any, if you're familiar at all with the Venice area or Englewood slash Rotunda area, uh, that's where I used to live in Rotunda for 16 years before moving back to Buffalo. Uh, my mother-in-law still lives in Venice. My parents live in Rotunda. They were down there when I was there. They moved away, went to Georgia, went back after uh, a few years, and now they're back there. So, you know, it was uh, nice to see them. I did play golf, didn't play that well with a friend of mine, a couple friends. That was great. Saw some friends. So I just, it was cool to go down there and, um, you know, get away for a little while, get the batteries recharged. Now we're back here talking about the Buffalo Bills and some other things. The other thing I did while I was on vacation was... Got a chance to kind of, you know, on the way down, on the way back, on the airplane, you know, when downtime, it wasn't, I didn't do this much on vacation except on the plane, but something I've done recently, I should say, is I've started to watch some films, some um, stuff on Netflix, whatever, uh, Hulu, Netflix, Disney, whatever your platform, mostly Netflix. And there's some interesting stuff I've watched. And the other part of doing this podcast is I wanted to tell you about some of the things that I've watched and Maybe some things that are good about them that I felt or bad or why you might like it or why you might not, depending on what kind of person you are, what you like, what you don't like. So I kind of wanted to get into that as well. So I'll do that at the end of the podcast. I'll get to the Bill stuff first. But I will tell you, I learned something about myself. And I think I kind of knew this, but not totally for sure all the way, but I, I really kind of realized it over the last few weeks. And as much as I'll say I do like shows like Ozark. Um, you know, it shows that, you know, our series, one series, two series, three series, I've done that. We did Designated Survivor. We used to watch 24 a long time ago. And there are still th- some things that come up like that. But I realized what I really like is like one season, four or five episodes, boom, in and out. Give me something. Not even, I, I'd rather do that even than like an hour and a half something, like something that's 
35, 45, 50 minutes, but it has a bunch of episodes I'm good with. You know, I can kind of watch it for less than an hour and either go on to the next one or just, you know, put it away for the night and then go to the next one the next day or whenever I get a chance. Having to wait a whole week like WandaVision, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. And then, you know, if you miss a day or so you or a week, you, you catch up with a couple episodes, that's fine too. Now, Ozark, they put everything out at once for a series. Boom, you binge watch it. That's cool. But I, I've gotten into more of these short series, if you will. Four episodes, five episodes. And there's been a few of those that I've watched recently that I want to talk to you about. But I, I really enjoy doing it that way. I think I've had way too much time on my hands, actually, now that I look at some of these things. I actually wrote down a list of everything I've talked about or I've watched so that I could talk with you about it here in the podcast. But before we do that, uh, let's get into defensive ends because... I want to give you a couple of numbers to start this off. And this is all written down, WGR550.com. But in case you haven't seen it or, you know, you'd rather do it this way, I'll give you a couple numbers. It might surprise you to know that the Bills actually ranked 14th in the NFL last year on defense in sacks per pass attempt. So per times that the other team dropped back, how much the Bills sacked their quarterback, 6.63% of the time. That was 14th in the league, top half. They were 15th in the league in total sacks with 38. Those are not bad numbers. They're okay. You'd want them better, but they're not bad at all. The issue is, I think as we've known for a while, they really lacked to get enough pressure with their front four. And that's that's why they've actually, I don't know, I guess it's chicken and egg why they did, but the Bills actually were the eighth heaviest blitzing team in the league last year, according to Pro Football Reference. They blitzed on 35.8% of their snaps. Now, I think part of that is they couldn't get enough pressure with the front four. So they blitz Matt Milano and A.J. Klein or Tremaine Edmonds or whatever it is. They blitz Jordan Poyer. You know, bring every once in a while a corner blitz. You see Taron Johnson or Trey White. And the Bills' numbers getting to the quarterback were better because of that. But they certainly weren't better because of the front four. And that's the area where I think, you know, we need to focus on and why I did defensive end. It's not defensive tackle. Yes, you'd like Ed Oliver to have better numbers. I think he will with Star Latula next to him. That's a whole different set of circumstances we're talking about. I'm talking about defensive line. I mean, defensive end. Because if you look at defensive end, you know, Mario Williams had five sacks. That led the team tied with A.J. Klein, a linebacker, a part-time linebacker. Jerry Hughes had four and a half sacks. That's it. From the defensive end spot, you're looking at Mario Addison with five, Jerry Hughes with four and a half. No other defensive end on the entire team had more than one sack for the entire season. Now, even though the team did draft A.J. Epinesa last year with their first pick, second round, obviously, um, you know, he didn't have much of a preseason, offseason, kind of a lost season for him. I do think he did some nice things, but this team still needs to upgrade and get a, you know, premier, if you will, defensive end, pass rusher. But they're hard to come by, and they cost a lot, whether that's money or assets. J.J. Watt, they were in on. He was out there. They didn't get him. The report is that the Arizona Cardinals signed him for $31 million. That's 15 and a half a year for two years. $23 million guaranteed. That's too rich for my blood. You know, as much as Watt would have helped this team, J.J. Watt has missed 32 of a possible last 80 games over the last six years. Is it six years? 16, 32, right? Uh, 64 before years. I'm sorry. So that would be five years, 80. 80 divided by 16. But... He's missed 32 games over the last five years. He's only played 48. He's 32 years old, and 
when you have those injuries with the age, you have to think about that. Now, the Bills already have some older defensive ends, and it is a position you can play older. Jerry Hughes is going to be 34. Mario Addison, 33, or I'm sorry, vice versa. Mario Addison, 34, Jerry Hughes, 33. But, you know, those guys are available. They play. And Watt hasn't been, and that's why it's scary. And on top of that, when he did play 16 games last year, he only had five sacks. That's the same amount as Mario Addison. That's the same amount as A.J. Klein. So what options do the Bills have left? That being said, I just, I felt anything over like $10 million was too much for Watt. Or at least getting into the danger territory. And, you know, 15 and a half mil, that's a lot for me. So he's in Arizona. The Bills didn't get him. I'm glad they didn't spend that money. As I did this exercise on free agent defensive ends, pass rushers, a couple of guys stood out more to me than maybe I thought they would. Number one, and high on my list, is Matthew Judon. Baltimore Ravens. 29 years old when next season starts. Now, I've always really liked his game. This guy does and embodies what I think we all think about when we think of Ravens defenders over the last several years. Tough, plays hard, brings an attitude to the party with him. And just from that standpoint alone, I think he'd be a great fit for the Bills' defense. They, I think, need a little bit more of that edge, a little bit more of that nasty, if you will. Very productive all around, including as a pass rusher. But he's not like the elite, top-tier type of pass rusher. And that's why it's, when I say, and I put him on this list here, he is not a guy that's going to get you 12 sacks. He did have nine and a half one year, just a couple of years ago. And he is actually a guy that can get to the quarterback. It's not like he can't do it. He can and he has. Eight, seven, nine and a half, and six over the last four years. 34 and a half in his five seasons. So he's been consistent. The Ravens actually placed the franchise tag on him last year, not because he's an elite pass rusher, but because he's extremely good at just kind of playing football and doing everything, and he can do it in any scheme. That's why I think this is the kind of player that could help the Bills, especially if they don't retain Matt Milano. Here is Matthew Judon, who can do all these different things. You move him around, and I think he's the perfect fit. I don't know what his number is going to be. He also had that weird thing where he threatened a reporter by saying, I'm going to show pictures of you at a strip club after the reporter. All he did was report that he had rejected a contract from the Ravens. Kind of bizarre, kind of weird. And I wonder, like, is that, you know, where's this guy's head at? But who knows? I don't know. He's a defensive player in the NFL. A lot of those guys are just wired different. So either way, I like Matthew Judon a lot. Now, I've always liked Carl Lawson for the Bills. Cincinnati Bengals, 26 years old. But I do want to come with some caution here with him. He had eight and a half sacks his rookie year. Then he had some injuries his sophomore year. And then he had five in 12 games in 2019 and five and a half last year in 16 games. He hasn't been super duper productive. If you're going to pay him, you're going to hope he gets back to that you know level he was his rookie year when he burst on the scene. The other thing is he's not a great run defender. He's kind of average, actually. So if you're going to sign Lawson, which I'm fine with, I think he you need to know he's going to be a guy that you know, you're going to use mostly as a pass rusher, not necessarily as a run defender, and you know you can put him into your defense and he's going to be fine. He, to me, is not like a guy that you just put on the field three downs and every team has to account for him every play. That's not the kind of player he is. But I do think he can help, and I do like his age. I do think that there's more untapped potential there with Carl Lawson. Speaking of untapped potential, Trey Hendrickson, 26, New Orleans Saints. Very intriguing. Very good athlete. Played college football at Florida Atlantic. He was Devin Singletary's teammate there. He only had six and a half sacks his first three years in the league. Played only 30 of a possible 48 games over that time. Then last year, boom, coming out party. 13 and a half sacks in 15 games. He could be this year's pass rusher, like, guy that everybody kind of falls in love with because of his age. 
and because of the fact he had 13 and a half sacks and burst on the scene. But you also have to think about, you know, he never had the consistent production. Then suddenly on a good Saints defense has this incredible year. Can he sustain that? But he is super intriguing from that standpoint. Now, a bit on the opposite end of the spectrum is Melvin Ingram. I like Melvin Ingram. I've always liked Melvin Ingram, but he's 32 years old and talent wise and production wise, he'd be a great addition. He collected 43 total sacks 2015 through 2019. That's 13th most in the league over that time. He had two different seasons in double digits. Never had less than seven sacks in a season over those five years. Four of those years came after Joey Bosa was drafted, however, which means that you have to think about where teams more focused on Bosa, giving Ingram more opportunity. However, he did have 10 and a half sacks the year before Bosa arrived. Now, the reason why I say he's on the opposite end of the spectrum, this is a guy who's been super productive and consistent for years. Whereas a guy like Hendrickson is younger, had this big output last year. Ingram is older and had a lot of really good productive years. However, two different knee injuries last year. He missed nine games, didn't even record a sack. He's going to be 32 years old. Again, not too old, but you think about the injuries. Any team signing him is going to be taking a risk due to that, combined with the age, like I said about Watt. And you have to think about whether or not he can be more than just a second fiddle pass rusher who can do it even if he has doesn't have you know that guy like Bosa opposite him. All right, some other guys that I'm not as high on, but I want to bring up. Yannick Ngakwe, 25 years old, Baltimore Ravens. Now, we've talked about this guy so much over the last year and a half that it seems like he's been in the NFL for decades, right? But he's just 25, and he just completed his fifth season in the NFL. Super young, but yet a lot of um, experience and production. This is the kind of player right here that if you sign, you literally put him on the edge, you tell him to put his hand on the ground, and you say, go get quarterback. That's it. And anything else does not matter because he's not going to give you much in the run game anyway, and he's not going to do much else. He is a one-trick pony. But that one trick is good. He's good at that one trick. I mean, you think about it. This guy, he's been in the league five years. He's never had less than eight sacks in a season. He got to that mark three different times, including last year. He had another season of nine and a half and another of 12. What I mean is he had exactly eight three times, nine and a half once, 12 once. He can definitely get to the quarterback and brings you high reward as a pass rusher if you want him to do that. He's had the 12th most sacks of any player in the NFL since entering the league in 2016, 37 and a half. But he's also had out of all of those 12, you think about it, since he came in the league in 2016, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, in five years, Yannick Ngakwe has the 12th most sacks of any player in the NFL. But out of all of those 12, he has the fewest tackle totals with only 122. Maybe you don't care about that. That's fine. And maybe the Bills don't. That's fine. Again, one trick pony. Put him on the edge. Tell him to go get the quarterback. That's all he's going to do. He's going to do a good job of that, but he's going to give you nothing else. And if you run at him, he's probably not going to no, help you. So you have to think about that when spending the money and what the guy is you know, able to uh, justify as far as that kind of money when you're talking about a premier pass rusher. I wrote about Hassan Reddick, 26 years old, Arizona Cardinals. I actually really liked him for the Bills when he was coming out of college back in 2017. He went to Temple. That was Sean McDermott's first draft, first year in Buffalo. And the reason I liked him, he had really good numbers at Temple. He was a 4-3 defensive end there. But through his NFL career, he's switched positions a lot. And I think it's hurt his game all around. But you have to ask your, the question, is the switching of positions what's hurt his game 
or is he just a guy that really never can fit anywhere? Now, I think that question was kind of answered last year. He went from a 4-3 end to a 3-4 inside linebacker to last year a 3-4 outside linebacker where he really took off, 12 and a half sacks. That might be his best position. And of course, the Bills don't play a 3-4. He's no longer a prototypical 4-3 defensive end. He's also not really a super physical player. So, you know, if he's strictly a 3-4 edge rusher, then the Bills aren't going to be into that. But if the Bills view him as a guy that you can move him around, he's played off the ball, he's played on the ball, all that, then that's a player you look at. But again, what's that that look like? Is he a guy that has a lot of positions he can play? Or is he a guy that really has no position? I don't know. It's I, I think the 12 and a half sack shows three, four outside linebacker is his best fit. And again, you're not going to do that if you're the Bills. But if you think that, you know, you can put him in a position to succeed and then move him around and he can help you, then that's fine. You know, same thing with Shaq Barrett. Shaq Barrett is probably the number one guy on most free agent boards when it comes to pass rushers in this class. Two years ago, he had 19 and a half sacks. Led the league. Eight last year. Super Bowl champs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, before he went to Tampa, he only had 14 sacks in 61 games with the Denver Broncos. But again, mostly a 3-4 guy. He can he can play both, but he's mostly a 3-4 guy. Not really what the Bills do or what they're looking for. Um, and again, I think he's going to be the number one sought-after guy on the market anyway. So probably out of that. Not, not a guy I love for the Bills. Here's a guy that... I, I like for the Bills for long-term, but not short-term. And I think that you can, you know, justify getting him this year. But if the goal this year is the immediate pass rush upgrade, then no. But if you want a guy that I think he can bring you high reward later in the season and then down the road, Bud Dupree, for me, could be that guy. 28 years old. The reason I say that is, suffered an ACL, torn ACL in December. I mean, that's not too long ago. He might not even be fully recovered and ready for training camp, much you know, less the season. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. He's going to see, and teams are going to have to figure that out. But he's a really good football player. He's averaged almost eight sacks per season over the last four. Now I'll say, the Steelers, they blitz more than anybody in the league. They're a very blitz-happy team. Some of those numbers are attributed to how much they blitz, and also having T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward up front for teams to deal with. They mostly run a 3-4, so he's not specifically a scheme fit. But again, I I don't want people to get too caught up anymore in scheme fits. NFL defenses evolve so much and have evolved that guys just move around. They're chess pieces. You move them around. You find spots. Three, four, four, three. There's really no difference in a lot of ways. So I don't want to get too caught up in that. But it does matter in in some sense of how much you want to stay in your base. You know, four guys, two on the end with each end with a hand in the dirt, those kinds of things. But, you know, those guys can, can move around. But either way, Considering everything about Dupree, I don't think because of that he really screams the kind of player the Bills need right now. But if you can get him at a lower price because of the injury and say, look, he's going to help us as the season goes on. We're going to have a good plan, make sure he's rehabbing. And then we're going to have this guy for future years. You know, I think that that is something that you need to you need to look at. Someone tweeted me about Jadavion Clowney. I didn't write about him. Not, you know, not the guy. I'm not a big fan. I think he's more hype than substance. Um, you know, he's had injuries in the league, but he's, he's been, a, he's a good player, not a great player. The thing about Clowney is actually, he's, he's a better run defender than people think. He's actually a, he's pretty good against the run. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's not a great pass rusher. I don't think he's exactly what the bills need. Um, a guy I actually didn't mind looking at a little bit was, um, Leonard Floyd. 
I think Leonard Floyd could be an interesting guy here too, you know, for the Bills. So these are guys I didn't write about as much. You know, Floyd's been, you know, pretty much a disappointment since he was drafted first round by the Bears. But I, I think he's he's probably been a bit better than people realize. He just hasn't had the flashy numbers. So those are just some guys that, you know, and if you can't go any further than that, you're honestly talking about guys kind of similar to Trent Murphy. So that just should show you why I'm not talking about more guys anyway, because if you wanted that, then you could have just tried to, you know, play Trent Murphy more and keep him this year, which obviously looks like he's going to move on in free agency. So check it out, WGR550.com. That is where I have the free agent defensive end slash uh, pass rush slash edge options for the Bills in uh, this free agent class 2021, which again opens on March 17th at 4 p.m. All right, what else uh, do I need to get to with the Bills before I move on real quick to talk about some shows that I've watched? Um, One thing that I noticed that I, you know, I tried to not really be on Twitter that much while I was on vacation. I didn't tweet for six straight days. Personal record for me, but I did check Twitter. I have to, right? Come on. I can't be that unplugged. I got to know what's going on, especially the J.J. Watt stuff, but everything. One thing that kind of struck me, reading Bills fans and, you know, people asking me questions, but just fans in general, there seems to be this romanticism a lot of fans have with just having cap space. Cap space, cap space, cap space. Yes, you need cap space. You want cap space. Of course you do. You want to be able to sign players. But it seems to me that there are a lot of fans who think just creating cap space makes your team better because you can sign other players. That's not the case. You know what makes your team good? Having good players. I don't want the Bills to release guys just to have cap space. The Buffalo Bills went to the AFC Championship game last year. They won 13 games in the regular season, two more in the playoffs. They went 15-4 and four overall. They have a really good roster from top to bottom. You know what happens when you release good players from a really good roster? You don't have as really as good of a roster. Now, of course, there's an argument to be made. I understand why a guy like Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, uh, you know, you release them, you create cap space, of course. But just in general, not saying those guys specifically, when people tweet at me and say to me, well, they should release these guys, create cap space and get a cheaper option, whoever that is. My immediate response is, well, a cheaper option is cheaper for a reason. He's not as good. Do you want the team to be as good? John Brown is a actually really good example of this for me. I think John Brown's a really good football player. I don't think the Bills should move on from John Brown, but I understand the cap space and the reason why, and if they don't feel he's going to stay healthy, then certainly they should probably do it. You know, they can save close to $8 million by releasing John Brown. I understand that. But John Brown's a really good football player, and if he's healthy, he helps the Bills, and he helps Josh Allen. I'd rather them keep John Brown at a lower rate if maybe they can tack on a year, restructure the contract, something like that. I'm not interested in releasing John Brown than going to find John Brown's replacement. And if you tell me Gabriel Davis can just hop it right into the number two role, that's fine. But the Bills like to throw the ball now. They spread the field. Then who's the other receiver? You put in Isaiah McKenzie. Well, he's, he's going to be a free agent, actually. Um, who's that? What, what, do we know about Isaiah Hodgins or Jake Kumaro? I, I like John Brown. I'd like to keep John Brown. Now, again, I totally understand if you're thinking about injuries, he wasn't as available. You do have this cap space and, you know, things like that that you have to think about uh, how tight you are and other guys around the roster and free agents. Yes, hard decisions have to be made. But don't tell me just by releasing John Brown, you're a better football team. You're not. The Bills are a, are a less talented team if they get rid of John Brown. I need to know what the plan is if he's not on the team. And it can't just be get a cheaper option because cheaper options mean guy isn't as good unless they really find a diamond in the rough that they really believe in who can replicate that kind of production when he's healthy. So to me, 
That's why I say there's a romanticism of some sort with having cap space. And I get why, because people, fans, I like to do this. Everybody likes to do this. We like to be our own GM. We like to play GM. We like to construct the roster. We like to spend the money. We like to put the pieces together, all that kind of stuff. We all love to do that. And that's why it's fun. And that's why thinking about cap space and making these moves is more fun than just the status quo. And the Bills don't have to have the status quo. They need to get better. But again, they won 15 games last year. At what price are you trying to create cap space and trying to get better? You don't want to get rid of good football players who are helping you win games. Now, one way you can do this, that teams are starting to do this year, and I think the Bills need to think about doing this year, which has kind of not been their MO under Brandon Bean, basically. I think some restructures could be in order this year. I would normally not advocate for this because it can create some issues down the road. However, what some teams are going to do this year, and I think the Bills can do this with a couple of guys, take players' base salary who are under contract for a few more years, say, we're going to reduce your base salary, but give you that same money in a signing bonus. So the player, it's no sweat off their back. They get paid exactly the same. Instead of getting the money as a salary, they just get it in a bonus, whatever that is. But that money now counts over the next few years divided up as a signing bonus over the life of the contract instead of counting this year as a base salary. For example, if the Bills were to go to Tredavious White and say, look, Instead of playing on a $10 million base salary this year, how about you play on a $1 million base salary and then we'll take the other $9 million and we'll just make it into a bonus. We'll give you the money, but now we don't have to count all $10 million this year. We only count $1 million this year and then $9 million is divided up over the next five years of your contract. They can do that. If they did that with White and they did that with Deion Dawkins and they did that with Stefan Diggs, all three guys who are all under contract for Diggs for three more years, Dawkins for four and Tredavious White for five. If they did that, I've done the math. They would create $22 million in cap space this year. Now, the risk is, and the trade-off, I should say, is it would cost them about five to $6 million more on the cap each of the next few years. Are you willing to do that? I am, because I think the cap's going to really shoot up. The new NFL, um, the new 17th game is going to come. That's going to happen. They're going to have the TV rights deal is going to be part of the, you know, uh, it's going to negotiated. It's going to happen here in the next little while. The money's going to be astronomical. We know the cap went down because of the coronavirus and COVID situation. It's going to go back up. Fans are coming back. I don't think that five or $6 million is going to matter that much. The only way this really would hurt the bills is if they moved on from one of those guys before their contract expired. And then suddenly all that money has to count in one year. I mean, do you think that's going to happen with Tredavious White or Deion Dawkins? I don't. And even if it did, it would probably be the last year of their contract, which it wouldn't matter at that point anyway, to be quite honest. You'd you'd be counting a a couple extra million, yes, but not multiple years of that counting up front or in one year. So I think that's the way the Bills should go about this. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do. The Steelers just did it with Cameron Hayward. Perfect candidate for it. He signed a contract extension last year. He's under contract for like four or five more years. That's a long time. They can spread out that bonus. Same thing with White. He's under contract for five more years. Same thing with Dawkins for four more, like I said, and Diggs for three. So I think that's a a way to go about this. It's not like normal for the Bills to operate this way under this regime, but I think this year it works with those players. You can't do it with a guy who's only under contract for one more year. Like You can't do it with John Brown. It's only one year. You'd still be counting the same amount of money. You can't spread anything out. So it's got to be guys who are under contract for multiple more years, but especially 
I think, you know, three, four, five years. And that's really points directly to those guys. Okay. So those are the kinds of things I wanted to talk about. I actually had Sabres written down. I'm not talking about the Sabres. Sorry. Just can't do it. Just so I'm numb right now. I'm just numb to them. Man. Just just want them to win. I just want them to be good and win. And all this stuff. Skinner and Eichel and the rumors and Kruger. and I, Just win. I don't care. Just find a way to do it. So I'm also not going to talk about Syracuse basketball on this podcast, although they had a big win over North Carolina on... Monday night. So they're probably not going to make the NCAA tournament still, but that was nice. So that's my, my one little thing I'll say about Syracuse basketball. It's usually my lifeline this time of year for sports, Syracuse basketball, but even then eh, it hasn't been that much this year. And the Sabres sometimes kind of can be or are, but haven't been for a while, obviously, and certainly aren't this year. So I've watched a lot of shows and I have some recommendations for you and certain people I will tell you, like, if you are the type of person that likes this thing or that thing, you might want this show, and here's what happens, and here's why. I'm not going to reveal all of the, you know, details in depth because I don't want to spoil anything. My wife and I actually did watch a movie, a Netflix movie. It was called I Care A Lot. And it was good because it was a good story about, wow, this can actually happen, and I guess it really can. And it's basically about, you know, older people and this woman who, um, she has the court appoint her to be these people's guardians because they are to a point where they can't take care of themselves. But she kind of dupes the court. She, there's a scheme going on where they actually can't take care of themselves, but she does this and then they go into homes and she basically sells off all their stuff and keeps it. Anyway, the movie's okay. It's not bad. I, I think you if you if you start watching it, you're going to really like it. But like halfway in, it turns into like the Sopranos, basically, and people trying to murder people and things like that. So just know that if you're going to watch it, um, you know, that it's it's really good story and it can actually happen. It is true that you can this could happen to people. And you think about, man, that could be my mom or my my grandpa or my grandma or whatever. Uh, but about halfway in, it kind of turns into a, a different kind of movie, I guess I'll say. So the ones that I've watched that are short series, if you will. I'll put out there and you can decide for yourself. One is called Surviving Death. And if you are interested at all in the afterlife, what's there, what's not there, what's real, what's not, ghosts, seances, mediums, things like that, reincarnation, this series is for you. It's like what, five, I think it's five episodes long, but each episode's about an hour. It starts off with people have near-death experiences and some of the things that they've gone through and they talk about, and they literally have like doctors come on and say, like, there's no way that person could know that. They were clinically dead, but the people knew it. And you're like, you're kind of blown away. Then they get into mediums and seances, physical mediums, the history of it, all that kind of stuff. Um, that that was pretty cool. Then it got a little slower for me because they also talk about people who have um, end-of-life experiences where they're getting towards the end of their life and they start seeing visions and things like that. They talk about ghosts. There's all, and there's, there's actual recordings of things of people and seances and stuff like that. They interview people, people, skeptics, non-skeptics, all that kind of stuff. And then the last episode's about reincarnation and basically like a couple of kids who are super young and they have these incredibly vivid details about people who lived way before them and say they are these people. And it's kind of super freaky. So if you want to watch it, the other thing that's interesting is in one episode, 
it's the um the episode about the end of life and they the, the guy goes to he's hospice and he goes to these people's homes and talks about you know things they've seen and stuff like that and i'm looking and it says hospice buffalo and they literally it they concentrate on and they focus on in the interview these two guys who run hospice buffalo they're like the main guys in this one episode i had no idea I don't know though if the people where they're going to visit are from Buffalo or in Buffalo. So that's kind of interesting. And I didn't notice till I was looking, it said Hospice Buffalo. Since then, I've actually read some articles and there's been some things written in the Buffalo News and other um, places. And I think Channel 2 may have done a, a story on um, one of the TV stations did on, you know, these, these guys and how they were interviewed and the focus of this particular series. So Surviving Death is what it's called. Here's another one that's kind of, it's about death, I guess. I, I watch too much murder stuff. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I watched way too much murder stuff after what I'm about to tell you. Uh, one is called Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the CISO Hotel. Super interesting story. Uh, this girl, she basically goes on a, she wants to, she's younger. She's like in her early 20s. She lives in Canada. Her parents are super protective. And she's like, I've always wanted to go to the United States, kind of, or go somewhere, spend a week on my own, different reasons. Her parents let her go to LA. She goes to this hotel. There's video of her in an elevator. She gets off and then she's never seen from again. And no one knows what happens to her. And there's some freaky video of like what she's doing and she's kind of acting weird. And it's all about the investigation, possibly a cover up. I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but there's some really weird stuff. Now, this goes to the heart of you want, if you like like conspiracy theories and things like that, this is also for you on top of being a crime scene investigation because there's one part in there and I'll just kind of say like, it has to do with tuberculosis, tuberculosis, tuber, tuberculosis, right? And like maybe she was some sort of agent to spread it. I know it sounds weird. I'm saying about that like this, but when you watch this part, you're going to be kind of freaked out and go, okay, that's weird. That's really weird. And like coordinate coordinates for a cemetery and I mean, weird stuff. So it's called crime scene, the vanishing at the Cecil hotel. It also goes into the history of this particular hotel, which has a very infamous history, if you will, with really bad people and bad things happening to it. It's about what, like I said, four or five uh, episodes, maybe six episodes long. I think it's five, but either way, uh, it's one of these things where it's, it's just a, a short, you know, one season kind of thing. Another one of those, and I'm sticking on the murder theme here. I don't know why, but I've kind of always been fascinated with the Chris Watts, Shanann Watts story. That is the young mom who was pregnant, who got murdered um, by her husband. Her husband killed her out in Arizona. I'm not revealing any secrets here. This happened two years ago. He's already, he's in prison for life now, but it's all the, it's the first person account of it, basically like the, um, the actual police footage showing up to his house, searching for her, the interrogation tapes. It's very sad. It's very sad. There were two young girls involved, his daughters. If you don't want to be sad about it, don't watch it. But if you already know what happens, and, and that's how I had to approach it. I don't like watching stuff like that, but I've always been fascinated by how someone could be that evil to do something like that. And they don't really focus on, you know, the girls, the daughters, but it's a part of the story, obviously. It's more about the wife, but um, anyway, and everything in their backstory and all that. But if you go into it and you say, I know what happened, I know, and, and you're not like kind of shocked, oh my God, it's still sad, but at least you're prepared for it, right? So it's called An American Murder, Chris Watts. And, you know, that's, um, and I can't remember, I think it is uh, um, several episodes, basically. It's not one particular one, but maybe. I don't even, I've watched so many of these things, but I, I can't remember that just like one movie. I don't think so. I think that's a bunch of episodes, or I could be wrong on that. Either way. All right, so what's the next one I want to get to? This one, 
Yes, this is about death, but it's not about murder. If you are of my age at all, anywhere near my age, I am 47. One of the very first things that happened in our lifetimes that caused like, oh my God, that we remember where we were, what was going on was the space shuttle challenger explosion. I remember it. I was in fifth grade. I was home from school the day it happened. I loved watching um, game shows when I was home from school. Price is right. Press your luck, right? All that stuff. I was watching Price is Right, I believe. And I remember the news interrupting it and saying, the Space Shuttle Challenger took off today. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, who cares? Like, why are you interrupting my Price is Right? There's been like 20 of these launches. But then they said, and it exploded. I'm like, what? And here's the thing though. This series really focuses on essentially how this should have never, ever happened. They go through all of the astronauts. They go through their their personal history, their family. They, they interview the families of the astronauts. That's It's really interesting. They focus a lot on Krista McAuliffe, who was the first teacher in space she was supposed to be, and what was going on. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm a junkie for like old news footage. I love that stuff. And they really go back to the 70s and show like the space program news footage and when they announced the shuttle was going to become a thing and then some shuttle launches and how people were reacting when it first came out. And they do all that stuff. It's so super cool. But the main focus is how people within NASA and people in the industry knew that there, there could very well be a disaster and they were very close to that happening, but yet they never did anything or they, they had so much pressure on them to kind of get the launches off and the budgets and the money and the, they, what they promised Congress they'd do and all that kind of stuff that they never really fixed the problem. And of, of course, ultimately the problem happened. It exploded. And then there's some you know focus on the, the aftermath of that. But if you're of my age and or you enjoy like the this is a docu series, right? It's a it's a documentary. It, this stuff happened. This is real. And if you like, you know, going back and relearning that, I learned a ton about what I didn't know about this. And I I recommend it, but I will tell you, it's gonna get you mad. It's gonna get you mad and go, why the hell did they launch? Why didn't they fix this? And there's a couple of people, one guy in particular, that when you watch him and he kind of like has no remorse, basically, I guess I'll say. Where he's like, yep, we, I still would have done everything the same. And yep, we had to do this. I, I just, I, honestly, I, I was so mad watching this dude. That I, these are the people that caused these human beings' deaths, basically. And, you know, you got you to gotta watch it, you know, kind of understand what I'm talking about from that regard. But I think you will. And I, I really enjoyed it. So I've been watching those things. I just started watching Ted Lasso. Jeremy turned me on to it. Jeremy White, Apple TV. Uh, it's about, it's a comedy. Den- uh, Jason Sudeikis. Goes from being a college football coach over to coaching in the Premier League. He knows nothing about it, but I've, I've only watched one episode. So just starting that. WandaVision, watched the whole first season. Really liked it. Took me a while to kind of catch on what was going on because I'm not a huge Marvel person. I was unfamiliar with their story, but I, I don't think you need to after a while. It's kind of one of those things where after a while, you, you're invested enough where you understand what's going on, even not knowing the entire backstory. So um, that's where I am with that. And then the other one I just started watching... It's murder again. It actually says murder. It's Murder Mountain. Have you seen any previews for this? I have one episode left. There's six of them. I've gone through five. It's basically about the marijuana industry in California, this one area where it was super duper like high volume production area, but also the people who live there are outlaws and they've made lives and generations of it. And there's tons of missing people from the area they go up to the area because of all the different stuff that goes on and you know it's drugs and it's money 
and it focuses on one particular young man and what happened to him. So it's called Murder Mountain. I'm in the middle of watching that. So there you go. I like murder stuff, I guess. I guess last week on Saturday Night Live, there was something about like uh, a skit about watching all these murder mysteries. That's me. But it was it was all the women staying home on the Saturday Night Live skit saying like they this is their night. They watch these murder shows. And, and my wife goes, that's you. I've been watching all this stuff. So there you go. I, I'll have more updates as we go on some of these things I'm watching. But throw me a tweet at Sal Sports and tell me what you think about some of this stuff if you've watched it. And hopefully I help you navigate through some of the things that you want to watch or not watch. All right, till the next time we talk, I appreciate you listening to this uh, 44 minutes or whatever it is of this podcast. And the next time, Spotify, iTunes, Radio.com, all those kind of platforms we're on. Again, throw me a nice review if you can. Give it a like. Let's uh, keep this train rolling as we keep going. I shouldn't say that. That's Trainwreck Sports, those guys over there. They always say that. That's their saying. So let's keep doing this. I'll be back talking with you sometime again later this week on the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.